You are listening to The Depression Session at 99.1 FM Downtown Radio. Each week, we'll have a new guest tell the story of their depression. I'm your host, Laura Milkins, and thank you for joining us on The Depression Session. Just a note for my listeners, I want to make sure you understand that this is a show about depression, and some of the content can be triggering, so please take care of yourself if something on the show brings up difficult feelings, and seek professional help if you need it. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to The Depression Session on 99.1 FM. We're here in the studio today with Steve Holmes. He's a Tucson sculptor and a friend of mine and a wonderful artist and human being. And we'll be right back with Steve. But first, I want to talk about travel. So I left. I went to France, and I had an amazing time. I left for a month. I closed up my house, locked up my car, left the keys with a few people, and got out of town and got on a plane. And I didn't have a lot of time to prepare. School ended, and I had a week (laughs) to get everything organized and done and ready and then get on the plane and go. And when I got there, it was the first time in years that I didn't feel depressed. And I felt relaxed. And I've had a lot of downtime being depressed, a lot of time of like not doing anything and just holding up and not feeling up for things. This wasn't that. This wasn't that kind of relaxed. That's not relaxed. It's not the same thing. To go and go somewhere else and then come home is, it's like a a moment out of time. It gives you a chance in some ways to just get some perspective, to be on another continent, to be in a different climate. I heard that as soon as I left, it got to be 115 degrees here in Tucson with record-breaking weather. (laughs) Woohoo! And um, so it was in like the 70s and 80s there. I also was there with other artists and writers because I was at an artist and writers retreat, and they were wonderful. Each person was an amazing person. There was a man from Siberia. He grew up in Siberia as a young, artistic, writer, gay man in Siberia and became a newspaper reporter and was actually worked for a magazine when things were open. And they were open only for 10 years. And then Putin shut everything down and closed down his magazine and everybody was fired. And he said, even then, there were eight layers of authority that anything went through before it went to the press. That was during the open time. Because there were some girls from Ireland there, and they said, why don't people revolt? Why don't they do something? And he said, because they think that Europe is a fascist state, and they're lucky to live in Russia. Because that's what the news says. It's a decadent, horrible, fascist place. Who would want to live there? People don't revolt because it's comforter, comfortable. They live, they're living a comfortable, not a comfortable life, but they're living in the comfort of what they know, which is pretty horrible from what I could tell and pretty basic. And it's just really interesting, lovely, beautiful person to get to know. He lives in Luxembourg now. He doesn't live in Russia anymore. And every time he'd talk about where he was from, it was sort of heartbreaking. There were two women from Ireland and a woman from England, and there was a big vote. (laughs) 
And they just, the England decided to leave the European Union. And that was all we talked about for a couple of days. And there was a woman from Indiana who was writing about the thin places in Ireland. She lost her husband, who she had traveled to Ireland for seven times, seven different times they'd gone to Ireland. And he had a strong connection to Ireland. And he had been gone for two years. And she decided to do her sabbatical and go to the thin places in Ireland, which are the places where the veil between the afterlife and life are thin, and where they believe they can connect with fairies or spirits and things like that. And she went to those places to take photographs and write about her husband and write about her journey. And she was amazing. And in the midst of all this amazingness, a whole bunch of people were killed in Orlando, murdered. And everybody there, there was a couple from Australia who were also amazing. And they said, why, why do they continue to have automatic weapons? That happened once, once in Australia. And the government changed the laws and the people were in an uproar and everyone had to turn in their automatic guns. And the government bought them back and they put them in a pile and burned them. And now they have never had a mass shooting since then. They said, why doesn't America do that? I, I said, I don't know. I can't explain to you the thinking here. I can't. So being far away and seeing my big country from a distance and from the point of view of people who don't live there and who only hear about it in the news was really interesting. And then I want to tell a little bit about the couple from Australia. She went to Oxford and then went on to get her master's at Harvard, you know, a little old place. And in the midst of going to Harvard, this was, she was 80, so it was in the 50s, she went to Alaska to work with an Inuit group. And then she moved to South Africa in the 50s and taught there. And then she went to Nigeria and she ended up adopting two Nigerian children who were Muslim, whose family, you know, through various circumstances, wanted her and her husband to raise them. And she traveled with these children through Iran and Afghanistan in the 50s. Or no, I guess that was in the 60s, which I thought was amazing. And then she moved to Papua New Guinea in the 70s and then ended up in Australia. She was just amazing. And she was the most humble, quiet, beautiful person. And she could out-hike any of us on these wonderful hikes we did through the beautiful countryside of southern France. And then her husband is a famous writer from Australia. And he, he was just a hoot and a holler the whole time, just one joke after another. And and uh, he was very, like, I, one day I looked him up, because I just had a feeling, and I looked him up, and I'm like, you're famous. And he's like, oh, go on with you, you know. <laughs> so with this amazing group of people and the world going on without us, but feeling removed, drinking lots of wine and eating cheese in the evenings and working all day in the studio, and they would be in their rooms writing. It was a world apart. So, getting away, feeling not depressed, and just having a moment out of time, I felt like, I want that. I want to take that piece home with me. I felt somehow it was the first time I had done something really for myself, kind of in a forward-thinking way, than I had done in four years. And Artem, the sweet man from Siberia, put in my suitcase a little note that I didn't see till I got to my next destination, which said, Dear Laura, I want you to promise that every year you do something just for yourself. So on that note, I hope you all find a moment to do something just for yourselves. And I want to welcome to the studio today Steve Holmes. He's a Tucson sculptor and wonderful human being. And I thank you so much for being on the Depression Session. Welcome.
thanks. Glad to be doing this. Thank you for doing it. You're welcome. And I just want to ask you, what's new with you? What's going on with you in your life these days? What do you want to share with us? Ah, the biggest change came, probably one of the biggest changes in my life happened a couple of months ago after a couple of uh, incidences that woke me up in a fairly dramatic fashion. I've been dealing with depression off and on pretty much my entire adult life. In fact, it's become such a a factor or a feature of my life that to be depressed was to be normal. Um, As a result of that, have have gone through therapy a handful of times uh, off and on over the years with varying degrees of success with the most insightful episode of, of therapy coming after someone very close to me was raped and I qualified for victims witness or victims compensation funding which I used to go to therapy because that event triggered a tremendous uh, number of, of things in my life and knew after that that I had to do something to to deal with the consequences of my depression and its its uh, colorful twin anger it was cognitive behavioral therapy and it was it was insightful providing me with a lot of understanding of things but ultimately didn't really fully address the uh, depression and anger that I've been dealing with the biggest insight that I gained from that was when we started to dance around the idea of my being bipolar and at the time did not want to fully acknowledge that I felt that I had the capacity eventually through through sheer will to deal with it to come to overcome some of the problems that result from it but ultimately that had that hadn't happened and we also discussed the possibility of my taking medication to deal with the anger issues and the bipolarity which brings me to the couple of events that happened recently that marked a turning point for me I'll spare the details, but suffice it to say it involved uh, road rage and anger that I knew had to be addressed because I don't want to hurt anyone, (laughs) (laughs) Um, including myself. And so the the anger was such so powerful that, again, it woke me up and made me make the decision to seek additional help at which point I went to Kodak here in town. And after the initial intake interview, I had a number of referrals for neuropsychiatrists because of the three to five concussions that I've suffered in my life and trying to explore the connections between brain damage and anger. Had a physical, which I have not had in, I literally cannot remember how long, because I have, I, that's been that long since I've had insurance. And then the uh, psych evaluation to 
prescribed meds. And again, it was, it was grudgingly acknowledged on my part that this is what needed to happen. Uh, I had not fully gone down that avenue and felt that now was the time. As a result of taking the meds, two realizations occurred to me. The first was that this is a real thing. This bipolar issue is not speculative. It's not a theoretical condition. It, the, the change that the meds brought about in me were profound. And so that, that, was, that was sort of validating as a result of that. But then the other, maybe more profound insight was that, yes, I was broken, but I could be fixed. This wasn't something that I was left struggling in the dark with myself to address as, as depression comes and goes. It, it can be addressed. Better living through chemistry is basically <laughs> what that was. And that in concert with regular cognitive behavioral therapy has provided me with more hope than I've had in, I can't remember how long, the possibility of, of understanding what normal is to be free of this near constant fear and darkness that is was just so normal that was the baseline for me and the meds pulled me out of that to such a degree that I was able to look at myself and recognize that I, I can be happy that is a plausible option for me I'm not you know, in this prison of depression. That, that has been, like I said, probably one of the biggest changes in my life that I could ever point to. And it's also helped me to make more sense. It's given me the clarity to look over my past and put some of these pieces together in a more meaningful fashion so that I can construct a solid, well-put-together whole me. There's that. That's the biggest thing that's been going on for me. I didn't have a big fear, as I've heard is the case sometimes, by, that by taking meds that I would somehow not be me, that I would miss these kinds of uh, baseline familiar understandings of myself that I, I didn't have to worry about that the the impact was was great enough and positive enough that it reassured that I can continue to be the best me possible another aspect of the meds uh, helped helped me to the meds did not stop so much of what was going on as as much as give me control or a greater degree of control prior to taking the medication my emotions specifically anger and incredibly destructive rage 
was an on-off switch. I went from zero to 60 in a heartbeat, almost literally sometimes, and just being out of control, just being destructive, damaging myself. I can't tell you how much money it's cost me in in just sheer material destruction. I'm, I'm glad I'm not going to have to spend that much money anymore on replacing this and that and fixing this and that. It went from, like I said, this on-off switch to something that's almost a uh, something I have a, 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 a more firm control over. The feelings are still there. Everything is still right beneath the surface. But instead of it being an on-off switch, I can intentionally dial it up or down as I feel is appropriate. Because there are times when anger is a justifiable, valid feeling. I like having more control over it instead of it having control over me. So yeah, that and have yet to uh, see the neuropsychiatrist and explore some of the biomechanical aspects that might underlie my circumstances. But given Given the number of concussions that I, I know I've had, as well as the speculative ones that you know, may or may not have been real concussions, and the increasing knowledge that we have about the effects of brain damage, I'm looking forward to getting a more in-depth understanding, being able to name these things, being able to define and and thus isolate them uh, is tremendously empowering. The clarity that I, that I gained being able to look back over my life and, and see see some of these puzzle pieces fall together again it's it's just been it's been empowering it's been a, the, the capacity to definitely identify these things as causes takes me out of out of the wilderness so to speak i'm not left grasping for something that i can't even see or or uh, understand clarity is a good thing <laughs> <laughs> well steve thank you so much for sharing your story with thank us thank you uh, and, and i i really wanted to kind of highlight a couple of things i mean one of the things that's really interesting to me is you know i'm not going to share exactly how old you are but you've been struggling with this your whole life right this is nothing mm-hmm, new mm-hmm. And suddenly you're in a position of being able to look back and say, oh, that's what was going on there. And it must, I don't know, it just sounds like it's such a relief. Tremendous relief. I mean, I've had anger issues since I was, the, the first that I can clearly identify, I was like 12 and just filled with anger that I wasn't allowed to express and that has mutated over the years and and corroded so much. Anger has, in one way or name, directly or indirectly, destroyed every relationship that I have ever had. I can look back and identify these turning points in relationships and say, okay, that's when that started happening. And it was because of this inability to 
to grasp what's going on with me and just being controlled by anger. And then, you know, one of the things I know it's really strong with depression is isolation. And so, like, having depression and having bipolar and having anger be a big part of that, it's isolating. It's got to, it sounds like it's just like such an isolating thing, like a whole cocktail. Absolutely. <laughs> a toxic <Absolutely>. cocktail. <laughs> and I've got a healthy additive to this cocktail that makes it okay, I can, mm-hmm. <laughs> I can get through Absolutely. this. Absolutely. <laughs> it's just the missing part of the recipe to, uh, to change things up. Yeah. I, and, and, compounding that that inherent isolation that that feeling of of you know who else who else has to deal with these things being an artist i will be in the studio for days at a time and literally not interact with someone and that certainly prime conditions to let things fester and mutate and and grow into things that I don't really recognize, but now have, again, the clarity to not be so utterly lost in those feelings, to to pull my head out of this muck of of just ugly feelings and despair and, and loneliness and... Yeah, I, I I never fear being alone. I'm not. I don't feel isolated. And thanks to programs like this and people's willingness to be open about these things, I think is is a tremendous development. Um, the more we can talk about things, the less the less they're, they have a, a control over us. It's almost like putting a little sunlight and air on it makes it manageable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm doesn't make it go away. I mean, that's the thing right. I'm realizing. Like, I'm not going to just suddenly, oh, I'm great. Right. Except right. I'm going to France, but that was... <laughs> <laughs> it's funny that I didn't feel depressed there, and I think it was I didn't have any responsibilities. That's that's always a factor. The the, the, the things you... you the, the objective things that you can point to, not having money, you know, uh, not having that many friends, not having stability or security in in just your easily identifiable day-to-day conditions getting getting out getting away from the things that are my daily life getting away from the you know being somewhere surrounded by people who are all there to do a creative venture and um the the guy there from Siberia Artem wrote after we'd all left he said a story about taking the train to a summer camp. He had won a poetry reading contest and he'd been sent to a summer camp at the Pacific Ocean all the way from Siberia. And he took the train and he got off. And he said it was the first time in his life that he was among peers, among people where he fit. And then he had to get on that train and go back home. And he said, I got to, I, you know, it just was unreal. And then he said, I just fell in my bed and cried. And he said, I feel like I'm there again. I was there among artists and creative people and just loved and feel like I had a purpose. And, and, and then I'm just out of it again. And I think artists, I think we're all creative. I think we're all artists. Absolutely. But some of us are more driven <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> or have less control over like having to be artists. I wasn't like, cause there's something else I could do with my life that's easier. No. Must be. <laughs> but like being artists and being among artists, I have these brunches once a month. And for me, that's one of the things I've held on to. I've 
talking to a friend. We went to the art museum, actually, and walked around the museum, and she was talking about retreating this year and stopping stopping calling and not just not reaching out. And I said, I went through that the last several years of just not feeling like I wanted to organize and do things and go to stuff and just, I don't know, I don't know. And then that I kept one thing in all that. I kept one thing that I just was devoted to, like, I'm going to have this brunch once a month. And it's where all my crazy artists and music and wonderful Tucsonans get together and we eat. <laughs> And I feel happy in those moments, no matter what else is going on in my life. And I know community is a big part of it. It doesn't fix it, but just knowing that there are other creative people out there and that I can connect with them and that they are also solitary in their art making and then need need some social nourishment. <laughs> community, I think, goes a long way towards legitimizing things that you're otherwise uh, unsure about or or afraid to see within yourself, I think, when you can be around people that are you know, those creative types, um, it, it, it's that in and of itself is is restorative, I think. Um, like feeling like you have peers, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and that they're not lying about what their struggles are either. Right, right. <laughs> That's yeah. You, when you're around people like yourself, you don't have to fear to be honest about whatever might be happening. Uh, it can just come out, and no one's going to judge you as a as a weak person or uh, whatever the, the judgment might be. They're just um, accepting you for who you are. And yeah. that's a tremendous thing. And I, I know growing up, like I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and at that time, <laughs> I just know that people, you know, people who were down or out of it or weird, there was this huge stigma to it that it was like, get yourself together. Put yourself together. Get mm -hmm. over it. Get over yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It wasn't there, there. I feel this is a time where people are saying, I struggle too. If you say, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just having a terrible time and I can't get out of this blue space. People don't say, smack, get, get it together. It. Get, get over, over it. it. You know, <laughs> get over yourself. <laughs> it, it, it's not that people don't, but that there isn't, that there's a much much more openness to saying, oh, I went through that last year. I know how you feel. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's the response. I was afraid to say that I'm not perfect and that I struggle and that I was kind of feeling screwed up and down because I've had experiences in the past where I tell someone I'm really having a hard time and they say, I can't deal with that. That's mm -hmm. not the relationship we have, sort of mm -hmm. like, you know, you build a relationship where you're really strong. So, um, you know, I didn't sign up for you to be down right now. Yeah, I, I think one of the one of the facilitators of that is the improved, brand new means of interconnecting with people. The the social media we have, mm -hmm. the ease with which you can do a program such as this without having to have a tremendous infrastructure that you have to pay for. It's you can simply pull out your recorder. Posted on Facebook, stamp. exactly. You just, just you can, you have the capacity to reach unprecedented numbers of people in less time than it's ever taken, and that 
again, you're, you, it helps you realize that you're not alone. You yeah. can you can build a community of people, and you may not even ever meet these people face to face. But the ease with which we can communicate is tremendous, tremendously empowering. And that's again, that's another reason I want to want to thank you for your doing this. That you're you're taking advantage of these new tools that are tremendously powerful. Well, I wanted to just mention that I really applaud you for your bravery. I know that being medicated and being diagnosed is pretty new for you. The struggles are mm-hmm. not. You could have come on this show any time in the last year. <laughs> True. But like finding out that it's that it's something kind of like almost like something real, mm-hmm. that it's something that you can get help for, and then coming on and talking about it, I really appreciate that. You're very welcome. I want to mention again that if you found some of the content of today's episode triggering, please seek professional help and call 911 if you feel like hurting yourself or others. I'm not a licensed therapist, and this show and the station are not endorsing any remedies or products. The purpose of this show is to destigmatize depression through storytelling. You can find a link to mental health services on downtownradio.org on the About KTDT page. To listen to the podcast, or if you're interested in being on the show, contact us at www.thedepressionsession.com. You've been listening to The Depression Session on Downtown Radio Tucson with music by Septahelix. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at The Depression Session Podcast. Thank you.